Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Well, hello everyone. Um, it is such a joy to be here. Uh, my name is Phil. If you've not met me in person, I'm part of the Balance site. Um, and I have such a privilege uh, teaching this church um, from time to time. As George has said, I am appointed and anointed. Um, I don't know what your lockdown experience has been like to date. Um, but yeah, but mine has been pr- pretty up and down. So our lockdown experience, me and my wife started... Um, we were due to move out of the place we were staying on, on, on a, I forget which morning, and then the Prime Minister announced a lockdown. So we had a covert 11pm extraction where uh, my father-in-law came, collected all our stuff in the space of 90 minutes, and we cycled across London at midnight in a sort of 28 days later style vibe. And I, don't know, I was just paranoid that there's going to be some police that would stop us and be like, what are you doing out? Um, so that's how it started, and then after that, maybe there was a bit of... Um, there was a, a certain weird excitement of like, well, you know, this funny period we're going into. Um, and that maybe lasted for a, a couple of weeks, so it was quite enjoyable to have a different pace of life. And then I'd, I hit a bit of a slump, and then I suddenly realized this is kind of what it's like now, and I need to get life kind of a bit back on track. Um, so I started building that again, um, and then again things changed, and the lockdown eased, and all sorts of things happened. And again, just where I'm at right now, which might be where you are at, which is what I want to speak to, is I am just a bit lost. Um, I'm in a wilderness period, and I've just come to say I'm okay with that. And my question really for me, I'm asking is, what do I do with that wilderness period? What do I do with this feelings of uncertainty? And so that's what I want to speak about this morning. Um, I want to take uh, the baton really on from Joe spoke a couple of weeks ago on this powerful question of who we're becoming. And I want to take that question and move it further and talk about this idea of spiritual formation in the wilderness. Um, So that's where we're going. Um, Before we begin, I'm just going to take a quick pause and encourage you just to take a moment just to rest in God's presence. And as we open the word, um, just acknowledge that he is here with us. Amen. So if you have a Bible handy, please open them to uh, the Gospel of Luke, which is in towards the start of the New Testament, um, from chapter 3, verses 21. Um, and I'm going to read through, um, skipping out, the, there's, there's a bit of genealogy in there, I'm going to skip that um, and go through till 4, verses 20. Um, and then we're going to start unpacking it. So it says this, Now when all the people were being baptised, And when Jesus was also baptized and been praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being a son of Joseph. And I'm going to move through to the start of chapter four. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he'd been baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during these days. 
And when those days were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, To you I will give all this authority and all their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I can give it to whom I wish. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. But Jesus replied, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And lastly, the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle, the top of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, and this is fascinating, the devil is quoting scripture to Jesus. It is written, he will command you, his angels commanding you, concerning you, sorry, to guard you. And on their, on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. But the last time Jesus answered him saying, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him from an opportune time. Then Jesus, returning in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, a report about him went through all the surrounding countries, and he taught in all the synagogues, being glorified by all. And then he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, which is the Sunday, and he stood up and read the scriptures. And the scroll, that is the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering the sight of the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. Now, that was a longer section than we sometimes read, um, and hopefully it felt really powerful to read it out. And now I really want to unpack three really important things about that passage. I want to talk about the significance of this story in this passage. I'm going to talk about the substance of the passage. I'm going to talk about the sequence. So let's start off with the significance. Have you ever wondered how the Bible was written? Uh, Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But one of the fascinating things when we look at the middle of this story, which is Jesus in the wilderness... How do we know that happened? There was no one else there except for Jesus and except for the devil. So the question is, how on earth do we know that? And the only obvious answer is that this was such an important event that Jesus sat his disciples down and said, hey guys, I need to tell you exactly what happened when I was in the desert. And he sat down and he told them in this exact detail all the things that happened, what the devil said to him, what he said back. And I don't know about you, but that when you look at it in that frame, it gives it a really powerful significance. There are not many times in the Bible, in the, in the New Testament, where we hear about Jesus' inner life. There are a couple, for example, the Garden of Gethsemane, another time when we only know what happened, what he prayed, because he must have told us. But this is another one. So the fact that it's an insight into Jesus' inner life in a really difficult wilderness time of his life makes it so, so significant for us and I hope can teach us something this morning about this period that many of us are in. So the second thing, now we hopefully see this is something significant. This is something worth looking at. Second thing now is the substance. 
what is this teaching us? What is Jesus? Why did Jesus tell his disciples this for it to be recorded for us to read, for Luke to record? What's going on here? Um, and here's a, here's a top Bible tip. You know, those of you who know me, but I love, love reading the Bible. Um, if you want to come along to Good Book Club, then please do. Uh, it's a great time to read the Bible together. Um, but one of the really fun things you can do with the Bible uh, is you can do little treasure hunting. So my, my wife, as an example, um, she works uh, giving support to children and young people. And sometimes when she opens a session, I know she does like a treasure hunt because she's having to do that um, via Zoom. And so, like, she says things like, go and find something in your house that's like colorful and shiny. Um, and then, yeah, they come back and they're all excited because they found something colorful and shiny. I'm like that with the Bible. So when I look at this passage and that my Bible tells me that the things Jesus was saying back to the devil are not just random, uh, nice, wise, wise ideas, which I thought they were, but actually he's quoting the Old Testament. And for me, that fills me with excitement because it means I'm, I get to go and find out what is Jesus quoting? Why is Jesus choosing these words in this moment? Um, some of us know these quite well. For example, man shall not live by bread alone. Um, I always really love that phrase, one day I'm going to make a jumper that says that with a picture of peanut butter. Um, but I feel like that might be slightly sacrilegious, especially after I finished my message this morning. But um, yeah, these are not just off-the-cuff things that Jesus was saying. Um, he was actually quoting scripture. And here's a really powerful thing. He was quoting from a single point in the Old Testament. These are not um, curated things that he found from different points in the Old Testament scriptures, but they all come from exactly the same sermon uh, given by a, a leader called Moses to the people of Israel. So let me just show you what's going on there, and hopefully we can really start to see what the substance of what is going on here. When we go back to Deuteronomy uh, 8, so it's between the sermon recorded by Moses giving to the Israelites is in Deuteronomy 6 to 8, um, if you want some light reading later on. And it's basically a very convicting sermon. It's a, it's a sermon accusing uh, the Israelites of being disobedient to God. And he says three things to them in that sermon. Number one, he says that when the Lord provided them with food in the desert, instead of turning that into trusting God and actually knowing that it was God, the giver of those gifts that they were supposed to be following and obeying and loving, they actually turned it into a, um, they were just demanding the food. They got focused on the food. And that's why Moses says in that sermon, you're not supposed to live by bread alone. You're supposed to live by every word that comes from the Lord, which is the end of that quote. So that's the first accusation that Moses says. And that's what Moses, that's where that first one comes from. The second one Moses accuses them of is, um, soon when they come out of Egypt after the Exodus, um, and they're in the wilderness, um, Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. Um, and while they're down there, they get so um, confused and not sure what's happening because Moses takes a while that they set up a cow or a calf made of gold and they start worshipping it like a god. And the second thing Moses says in Deuteronomy 6 to 8 is, you started worshipping other gods and you disobeyed the commandment that you should worship no other gods apart from me. So that's the second thing that they failed to do. And then the third thing that they failed to do um, is that they didn't realize, they didn't take on board the fact that their God had brought them out of Exodus. Their God had parted the Red Sea. Their God was trustworthy. Their God could be trusted to put their hope in for a good future. And instead, what they did in a story in the Old Testament is they put their God to the test. They said, if God's really looking after us, we need God to do this. 
um, which God actually does do. But afterwards, God says, that was disobedient. I'm not happy with the fact that you did that. You didn't trust me, even though I did these amazing miracles in your presence. And he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So you can see those are the three things that Jesus uses in this time. So the question is, what on earth is going on here? And what I want to suggest to you is this. The main accusation that Moses had to the people of Israel back in the time is that rather than coming out and being given this identity of God's people and becoming formed into God's people, they instead started disobeying and became spiritually deformed. In the hardship of the wilderness, which was a hard time for them, instead of becoming more like how they were supposed to be, they became less like how they were supposed to be. When push came to shove, they rejected their God, they rejected trust in their God, they rejected hope in their God. And that's the main accusation. So what is the devil doing here to Jesus? He's essentially saying, okay, can you pass the test that the Israelites failed? You are here as the Messiah. Um, Are you going to do what they could not? He's saying, are you going to choose to be spiritually formed? in how you're supposed to be, or are you again in the wilderness after 40 days? The fact that Jesus says he was hungry is the biggest understatement in the Bible. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. Um, He wasn't just hungry, he was weak, he was probably very tired. Um, And he says, in this situation, this difficult situation, are you going to become who you're supposed to be, or are you going to choose otherwise? And he directly quotes what Moses says they should have done, and he says... Um, I will not live by bread alone. I will not worship another God, and I will not put my God to the test. So this is the incredible substance of this passage, and hopefully resonates for us now, is that in this wilderness period, this is the time when not only is it convenient um, or an opportunity, because maybe some of us have less on, I know it's not true for everyone, um, When there's a testing period, it's not just a convenient time to choose who we're going to be and how we're going to live, but it's the crucial time. Luke records a really powerful um, detail in the story that Jesus was led by the Spirit to do this. Um, Jesus chose willingly to go into this testing period, into this wilderness. And what I propose to you this morning is actually our formation as disciples of Christ requires us to embrace the wilderness season. Because it is only here that we can deeply choose how we're going to live. Let me say that again. Our formation as disciples of Christ requires us to embrace the wilderness season because it's only here that we can deeply choose how we're going to live. It is only when things are not as they should have been. It is is only these times when our comfort is taken away from us, the things we used to rely on. It's only there do we really get that test of who are we going to be. And I think this is part of what's happening in this testing period um, and how Jesus, why he quotes these particular things from Deuteronomy to say, I'm going to pass these tests. So that's the substance, significance of, of that we have this. And Jesus felt it was really important that we understood the ins and outs of what happened here, the substance. So this is a powerful example of Jesus passing a test um, in the best sense of the word, not a, not a, a, a pass or fail thing, but making a choice to make choices that the Israelites did not choose. And the last one, and this one blew me away, which is partly why I read so much, is the sequence. So I want to show you the sequence quickly as well before we finish. The gospel writers are very skilled um, and chosen. If you read the different gospels, you'll see things sometimes all have the same material. 
And one of the reasons is they often decided, I'm going to put that one, these things in order, potentially chronologically, but I'm going to do this and this and this because I want to make a really powerful point. I want to show people what Jesus was trying to communicate through his life and his ministry. And what we've got in this story, again, which is why I read, read the whole lot, is the first thing that happens before he goes into wilderness is he has his identity confirmed. He's baptized before he's done anything. His ministry has not borne any fruit at that point. And a voice audibly comes from heaven in a form, and comes in the form of a dove and says, you are my son who is beloved. He has his identity locked in as the first thing. The second thing that he does then in response to that is he goes into this wilderness period. He goes into this time of choosing, am I going to live from that identity? That identity was not going to go anywhere. He was always going to be the beloved son of God. The question was now, was he going to live it out? Was he going to decide, how am I going to do this in the rest of my life? Again, the Israelites, they were always going to be the people of God. God did not not choose them again after they failed and disobeyed so much. But they chose not to live it out. They chose not to be formed in the likeness of the people of God. So Jesus then, the second period, first he has his identity locked, and then he, secondly he goes into the formation experience in the wilderness to say, is this how I'm going to live, who God, my Father, has made me? And the third one, this is a killer for me, is that only after he's gone through this and only after he's made these powerful statements to choose, this is who I'm going to be, does he announce the start of his ministry. Immediately afterwards, it says he comes from the Jordan where he's baptized. He goes into the synagogue where he's been teaching and he opens this scroll from Isaiah, which some of you might know is a church near here that's named after that exact passage. And he reads the most hope-filled prophetic works that the Israelites have been holding on to for like hundreds and hundreds of years. And he says, this is now being fulfilled right here, right now. And I want to suggest that part of what he meant by that is because he said, I have come and I have chosen the thing that you guys couldn't choose. I have come and I've chosen to be formed into my identity in my life, and I'm going to now fulfill this ministry in my life. And we all know the rest of his ministry, his death, his resurrection, um, his ascension, all of that was fulfillment. And it, it still today of that Isaiah 61 passage. So it's an incredibly powerful order, that sequence, isn't it? Identity, formation, and fruit. And I think there's a couple of things really important for us to pick up from this. Is The first one is that no matter where you're at on this journey, no matter whether you're new to being a Christian or been a Christian for a long time or not even a Christian yet, you can never get rid of your identity as a loved child of God. You are God's beloved God loves you no matter what you've done, no matter what you do tomorrow, no matter what you do next week, next month, next year. You cannot get rid of that identity whether you like it or not. And that's where the sequence has to start. And then on the basis of that identity is when you can make a choice to go into this formation experience in the wilderness, where you can choose those times in life when things get stripped away and things are hard and difficult and not the things that you ideally need. And maybe we all had six months ago that's when you can then make that choice from that identity to say, this is how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to be formed into a child of God and into someone who wants to be obedient to God. And then only then after then can we then start looking to being uh, fulfilling the ministries and the things that God's called us to be. Um, 
When I was uh, growing up, um, there was the, the, the fad of WWJD bracelets, which stood for What Would Jesus Do? Um, marketing dream for uh, teenage young people who are Christians. Um, but I had a very uh, traumatic story of this. So this is when I was at university. Um, I was uh, just walking to the shops or something, and a, a fundraiser, one of those on-the-street fundraisers, came up to me. And uh, I always felt that guilt walking straight past them, and I obviously I was a student, so I had time on my hands. So I stopped, and I, I, I engaged him, and I said, hello. And I had no intention of giving him any money. But, um, yeah, we, we were talking, and he was like, oh, we need the money for this, and da 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 um, and again, I think I, in my head this was a good idea, but I thought I said, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and I do give money away. And, and I just remember it so clearly. He just paused and he stopped and he said, what would Jesus do? <laughs> and uh, I was stumped. Um, and I, after I did find out that he wasn't a Christian, but he had picked up this phrase. And uh, essentially he, he, you know, slightly called me out. Um, and then I was locked in at that point, so I had to sign up. Um, which is really slightly annoying. But just because I was like, I can't, now I've, you know, stuck my uh, uh, Jesus' colors to my mask. I can't now walk away because that's just terrible. So um, anyway, so I signed up. I was just amazed it got into his, his perspective. And I still went away thinking, like, what would Jesus do in that situation? And now I realize what I should have said to him. I should have said, I really love to give. But I think I need, to be choo I need to choose to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness of spiritual formation because only then can I do what Jesus would have done. And then I could have walked away with my conscience clear. Um, but sadly, I, I think I gave some money for a few months and then cancelled it. So, um, but it's a really powerful story. We, a lot of us have that passion to do what Jesus would have done. And if you want to read works of someone like called Dallas Willard, he's passionate about this, that we try and jump to that stage without the formation experience, without going through the hard times potentially where we can really become Christ-like. We try and jump straight from identity um, to ministry. But again, the sequence I think here is so powerful. It's identity, locked identity, choice for formation in the difficult wilderness time, and then the fruit that comes after from your life and your ministry, whatever that looks like. So let's come in to finish now just with a, a couple of thoughts of what, you know, what does this look like now? What does this look like to try and follow through this model? And I think there's two things. One is a challenge and one is a safety net. So let me talk about the challenge first. The challenge, and the challenge maybe is the wrong word, but what it is, it's an invitation to greater transformation. It's following that same model of Jesus of saying, I'll be willingly led into this difficult period or led while I'm in this difficult period. And in this period, I will do the work to think through who am I going to be? How am well, I know who I am, but how am I going to live? How am I going to make the choices when the hard things happen? In the uncertainty of the future, um, I'm sure Jesus didn't know exactly how his ministry was going to go, but he made those choices that I will be obedient to the Father. I will live out my identity as a son of God because that's my choice. So the challenge, none of this is heavy. Well, not in a negative, it's not burdensome, that's what I mean to say, but it's an invitation to greater transformation should we want to take that. But then here's a safety net. This is also really, really important. None of this is a salvation issue. None of this is an issue of whether God loves you more or less. As I said, your salvation, your forgiveness, 
The love of God is locked in to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That is the Christian gospel. But this is an invitation to respond to that. Like I said, for that further transformation, following the model of Jesus. And then the second thing is this is not linear. There's an, there's an amazing little um, Luke's account of Jesus in the desert has this amazing final line that says, the devil left him for another opportune time. And we had never told when the devil came back to, do, to test Jesus again. And I'm probably asking him the same questions. Like, are you, do you really want to do this? Um, we can make educated guesses. Um, my, again, this is totally an educated guess, but I would say in the Garden of Gethsemane, we have this story, the end of Jesus' life, where he's praying alone. Based on this passage, I'm sure that was an opportune time for the devil to come back and say to Jesus, like, do you really want to do this? You're the son of God, but do you really want to do, live like this? Um, or don't you want to take an easier path? But we never know that. But it's not a linear process. Jesus did it, I think, really powerfully, symbolically at the start of his ministry. But I'm convinced that throughout his ministry, he was constantly choosing those times where it's recorded that he went away. He went away in solitude to be with his father. There were probably times where he was reaffirming to himself, like, yes, thank you for my identity. Thank you for my love. Thank you that I'm your beloved. And again, today, this week, I'm going to choose, therefore, that this is how I'm going to live. This is how I chose at the start of ministry. So again, it's not linear. If you're in a difficult period right now, then that's, there's absolutely no burden around that. This is not a linear process. So I'm going to finish uh, again in a moment just by re- reading a scripture. Um, but I'll just read that line I, I said before. Our formation as disciples of Christ requires us to embrace the wilderness season because it's only here that we can choose how we are going to live. So I don't know where you are this morning or this week or how the lockdown and pandemic is going for you, but the invitation this morning is for deeper transformation based on your identity for that formation experience so you can bear greater fruit. And as I said, let me close and then we're going to hand over for another time of worship from um, words from a, a, a New Testament writer called James, probably the brother of Jesus, in fact, Um, And maybe these words in the message translation will have a different resonance based on what we've talked about this morning. And James writes this, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of everything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature, well-developed, and not deficient in any way. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.